I want to ask you about last season. A lot of things went well for you. ACC Coach of the Year. Oh, boy. The fact that I put it all together <laughs> as a first-time head coach, I really had no idea what this would look like initially and at first. And, and I think what we found was we had a great culture. Um, we had really talented kids that wanted to work hard and, and get out of here with a different vision of what Duke football mm -hmm. should be like. And, and then we found a quarterback. How do you go about kind of just your strategy of keeping kids home, recruiting your state, but also having to be a national recruiting power. We can get on social media and advertise our brand yeah. to everybody, right? To every 17-year-old recruit in the country can feel like we're local. What the reality of NIL versus the way the media <laughs> portrays it is, is probably a little bit different. The first thing is, is federal regulation to kind of standardize the rules. I yeah. think the fact that a state can go in and, and create yeah. its own set it's of NIL rules, yeah. like that's something that, that you know, is going to get out yeah. of hand really quick. When it comes to this program and this university, people refer to it as a basketball school all the time. I don't know that we're destined to be a basketball school from a fan base standpoint. It wasn't that long ago that we were the pinnacle of this whole thing. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we just got to invest in our programs, continue to play football the way we're capable of doing it yeah. and let that take itself to the course. What's up guys? Welcome back to the Next Step Podcast. I'm Adam Brenneman. We're on campus at Duke University today. Gonna talk to Duke football head coach, Mike Elko was just the ACC Coach of the Year, one of the top head coaches in college football, is building this Duke program for long-term success. Gonna to talk to Coach Elko about all things college football, NIL, building Duke, his career. Can't wait to talk to him. Before we get to the pod, please subscribe to this channel, show us support. The more subscribers we get, the more content I can put out, the more I can travel around the country and give you guys an inside look at college football. So press that subscribe button. Let's go see Coach Elko. Guys, we have a new sponsor for the Next Up podcast called Dara Lab, and I am fired up. Because of Caldera Lab, I'm able to put my best face forward. How do I do that? By adding a skincare routine from Caldera Lab into my day every single day. Now I know what you're saying, there's no way this guy sticks to a skincare routine, but joke's on you because there's no way this face stays this clean and looks this good without it. And honestly, it's not that hard. I just needed the tools and now I have them from Caldera Lab. Here's some insight on my personal routine. Number one, the clean slate. It's a face wash that starts and ends every single day for me. Number two, the base layer, a moisturizer that hydrates my skin, and number three, the good, a bedtime night serum that has my skin feeling tighter and smoother than ever before. The skincare world is not just for females anymore, it's for men too, and it's doing wonders for me. So what are y'all waiting for? Go to calderalab.com slash Adam B for 20% off their best products. That's a huge discount at calderalab.com slash Adam B. And guys, supporting our sponsors like Caldera Lab supports me and allows me to do this podcast every single week for all of you. So please support Caldera Lab at calderalab.com slash Adam B for 20% off. Before we get to the pod, I want to tell you all about Athletic Greens. And let me tell you, when I found out about this sponsor, I was fired up because I've been using Athletic Greens for years and I want to promote to you guys the things I actually use. I love Athletic Greens. As a former Division I athlete, I've tried countless supplements and recently my nutrition and my health has become a bigger deal for me as I get farther away from my playing career. And let me tell you, Athletic Greens is the real deal. Has me feeling healthy and energized every single day. With as much as I'm on the road, traveling, shooting podcasts, it's hard to have a healthy diet, hard to have healthy nutrition, hard for me to get my vitamins and minerals every single day. My doctor even told me that last time I saw him. But with Athletic Greens, I get 75 plus vitamins, minerals, and a bunch of other healthy things. I don't even know what they are, but I know they're good for you. And when I wake up every single day now, I feel energized, my digestion has never been better, and I'm ready to attack each and every day because of Athletic Greens and AG1. So if you want to take ownership 
ownership of your health like I am right now. Try AG1 today at drinkag1.com slash next up and you get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs when you go to my link tryag1.com slash next up. And guys, all of you who support this podcast, you guys supporting our sponsors helps me a ton. So please go support AG1 and support next up through the process and optimize your health and nutrition today. Drinkag1.com slash next up. Check it out. Next up. What I do? 8.45 a.m. Ben's two minutes late. When the crew's late, it's not a good sign. Ethan was on time though, so good job Ethan. Head into the Duke football facility. It's 8.48, nine o'clock we got arrived, so running a little bit behind. Got in last night to Durham Airport, talking to head coach Mike Elko today. Gonna do a facility tour with their quarterback, Riley Leonard, who I think is a sleeper Heisman candidate. I just said that, Riley Leonard is a sleeper Heisman candidate. Let's go see Coach Elko, man. One of the most beautiful campuses in the country, Duke. summer been good uh yeah summer what yeah. summers do we get anymore? you get any time away yeah we went to alaska for a week oh cool but uh yeah i mean it's less and less now every year yeah. it's crazy you still making recruiting calls in in yeah. alaska yeah <laughs> yeah now we're fortunately we so we fill like, two years in a row we fill in june yeah um which is nice so we're not really uh in active recruiting battles yeah as much as we're just trying to hold on to our guys at that point, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a little easier yeah um but it's the same hold on to them nowadays is is the most just difficult part right yeah just as hard, just as hard. <laughs> and your own roster yeah right? no doubt all of it yeah well there's so much i want to talk to you about we'll just get right into it we, we rolling we good yeah. Um, so much I want to talk to you about. You've had so much success in, in one year here, and, and you've had an awesome career, just signed a contract extension. Uh, but I, I want to start with when you took this job. What made this the place that you wanted to be a first-time college head coach at? Yeah, I think the first thing is the brand. I think the brand recognition of Duke and what Duke stands for nationally mm -hmm. uh, is a good starting point. I think whenever you're taking a job, especially as a first-time head coach, yeah. uh, I always wanted to find a place where I knew I can go into living rooms and people would recognize yeah. who I was and what we were talking about, right? And then obviously basketball has done so much for our athletic brand uh, that there's at least a track record to success. Yeah. And then it was, what type of commitment are we going to get for football? Mm -hmm. you know, are, are we going to get commitment that matches the modern day era of football? And, and once I got that from, from President Price and Nina King, RED, um, then it became, you know, okay, this is real and, and became a real good fit for me. Yeah. When, when you got here and you're kind of your first week on the job, what was the, the one or two things that you said, we have to fix this right away? Yeah. The, so the first thing that jumped out to me was nutrition. Yeah. I think, you know, the first thing I tried to do was met with a lot of players and, mm -hmm. and it was like, basically had a very similar meeting with them all. Okay. Tell me the one thing you know, about Duke that really drives you crazy, or yeah. what is the one thing about how the infrastructure is set up? Like, don't tell me about the play yeah. calling. Probably get some crazy Don't tell answers. me I didn't like this coach. <laughs> like, right? None of that stuff is yeah. relevant. Like, give me some real substance. And, and probably 90% of the roster said, 
food and yeah. how we're eating and training table and those types of things. And so that was probably the, the first thing. I think we internally felt like we needed to do a, a big mass transition in strength and conditioning. That was something that was really important to us. And so we put the two of them together, and I think that helped real yeah. quick make a bigger, yeah. faster football team. Take me through the whirlwind of when you get a job and – there's so much going on, right? You have to hire staff. Yeah. You have to retain your roster and try not to yeah. lose everyone to the portal. You got to figure out who you're recruiting, what what guys you have you have committed already. Call all those guys. What was those first couple of weeks like when you're just it's just a flood of things happening? Yes, I, I told a lot of people this story. So when when you're an assistant and and somebody you know really well gets a head coaching job uh-huh. and you try to get in contact with them and you can't, <laughs> like there's this thought of like, oh, he's a head coach now, he's changing. And I've told people this. No, when you become a head coach, like you can't understand <laughs> yeah. what that first week is like. Like you can't even comprehend it in terms of where you're getting pulled, where you're going, who you're meeting with, who you're mm-hmm. talking to. Um, and so like really it's it's all about like trying to get stuff into little boxes. Okay, I'm going to attack yeah. this now, right? And so I got hired, I think it was like officially five days before signing day. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you had to get to know <laughs> that entire committed group in five days. You know, so you set up a bunch of calls and Zooms with all of those guys. You know, fortunately – or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, our roster wasn't here. So like that part, like that was mostly phone call, but it was a lot of like, hey, as soon as you get back, we're going to sit down. Um, We knew they were coming back early in January. Uh, It was having to meet with with the previous staff, which Mm -hmm. which I'd like to say to all ADs out there should not fall on the new head coach. (laughs) Like that's uh, that's what everybody does. But but that's that's tough. You know, you got a lot of guys who've put a lot of time and energy into Duke and, and you've got to be mm-hmm. the one to let them know you're going in a different direction. That was, that's yeah. really challenging. And then you got to go build a staff and, and you got to find the right people and the right fits. And it's not just the 10 coaches, right? It becomes, you know, I think I hired 51 people yeah, support when staff it was all and, said and yeah, done and, yeah. and, you know, and, and then you get it up and running and, and then our players come in and then you try to start building those yeah. bonds and relationships. Was there a, a moment, I mean, you prepare your whole career to be a head coach. You probably have manuals and tabs on the manual. Was there anything when you got the job that you were like, I did not prepare for that part of it, or I wasn't expecting that part of it? Yeah, like everybody tells you you don't understand everything that goes into the head coach's mm-hmm. chair, and, and you probably have that note written down 300 times in different <laughs> places. Uh, to understand actually what that means – or to really comprehend that, you don't until you yeah. get in the chair. Just yeah. just the amount of stuff on a daily basis that falls in your lap, right? The football is the football. Take that away from it. Um, just so many things when you when you become really the CEO of an organization that you've got to handle and you've got to do the right way if yeah. you're trying to truly build a program and, and grow yeah. something. Yeah. I want to ask about your childhood, your upbringing, and how that has shaped you and your philosophy and your beliefs today. Yeah, I so, uh, grew up um, as the only child of, of a very young family. Uh, mom and dad both dropped out of high school to raise me, got married, um, and so, you know, came up from humble beginnings and uh, was a sport kid my mm-hmm. whole life. You know, I was football, basketball, baseball, like whatever there was, and I could play it, I played <laughs> it, and, and that was just me. And so, in a lot of ways, I was a sports junkie and, and followed everything and, and was aware of everything going on in the game mm-hmm. of sports and, um, you know, settled in and as a, you know, recruited football player, went to the University of Pennsylvania, um, and that was, you know, a, probably a completely different yeah. style for me. And, and, you know, that was a great experience for me going to 
Philadelphia. Had a lot of lot of fun, obviously, in, in that city and um, playing college football there. And you know, tried a lot of different things. Tried war in, tried communications, <laughs> like all of the things that you should be trying as a Penn grad. And um, it just kept falling back on yeah. on my passion for sports. And said, you know, all right, we'll give this this football coaching thing a try and yeah. and see where it goes. And I think it's 24 years later. Here we are. You, know, you mentioned Penn, and then you were also at. You spent time at Notre Dame, spent time at Wake Forest. My, I just thought of kind of how did that prepare you, that being at high academic institutions like that, where you can only recruit a certain kind of kid, how did that prepare you for a job like this, where you got you got academic rigors, you got to yeah. meet certain test scores, certain GPAs to take kids? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. My, my entire career journey, I think I flipped back and forth between the two <laughs> types of schools. Yeah. And so um, what I told Nina when I interviewed with her was, you know, that you're not going to find anybody with a, a uh, resume as diverse as, as mine yeah. and so yeah I think it, it helps in a lot of ways I think it helps when you talk to the administration and you're talking about aligning the goals of your football program to match a school like Duke uh, where academics is a priority where developing young men to be successful in life is a priority and not that that shouldn't always be yeah. um, but at a school like this it probably gets enhanced a little bit uh, and that's critical and, and then I think just knowing how to talk to those types of people on campus to say, mm -hmm. okay, within the framework of what Duke stands for, these are some things we can do to elevate our football program. And I think that helps. Um, and then I think there's something to talking to kids too, yeah. like understanding how these kids think, you know, in a lot of ways, I was one of them to yeah. some degree. And, and it's like, okay, like I understand you have different interests and, football still got to be a priority or talking to those other kids who maybe never thought of Duke was going to be yeah. where they would go to college and they're here maybe primarily for football but you're trying to make sure that they get everything out of Duke yeah. that Duke offers them and so I think it helps on a lot of levels um, not only with our own team but also with the administration you know and the and the academic part of the this place is probably a challenge in recruiting, but do you also view it as a strength? With you, you, you know the, the type of kid you're gonna get when you recruit him here. Yeah, I, I think it makes it unique, right? We're, yeah. we're not a pure blue blood yet, right? Yeah. We're not a top 10, top 15 recruiting power, mm -hmm. right? And so what you're looking for is a niche and, and yeah. what, what is your niche? And I think the thing that makes us unique with how strong of an academic school we have is, is for the right kid, it does us allow us to elevate our recruiting, right? Yeah. And get into some conversations against some other mm -hmm. universities that maybe from a pure football history standpoint, we wouldn't be in, but because what we offer is a little bit different and unique, you know, we yeah. can get into those conversations and that's yeah. something that's important. You, you mentioned the niche there of, of the kind of kids you're getting. I would imagine as you're building this program, you're taking a lot of, say what you want about the stars, but a lot of three-star prospects who, yeah. who you have to develop. When you get when you have a three three star kid who maybe doesn't have the raw talent that a five star prospect has, what what's your philosophy or how are you developing them from the second they get on campus to say we need to maximize this guy's talent and potential because we need him to play for us? Taking a quick break from the pod, I gotta tell you guys about Manscaped. Guys, here's the reality: it is summertime. Summertime means more fun, more ladies, more time on the beach. And what's crucial during that time? You have to look good. Top to bottom, literally. The way I make sure I'm looking good and fresh and light every day in the summer is with Manscaped. The Performance Package 4.0 has me feeling my best. Last time I was at the pool about two weeks ago, I had the shirt off, my face was clean, I was groomed well below, and my confidence was at an all-time high, and it paid dividends for me. 
Here's why I love the Performance Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 has everything you could ever need to keep you looking your best. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and even a travel bag to hold all your tools. Trust me guys, you don't want to miss out on this bundle. So guys, go to manscaped.com and use my code ADAMB for 20% off and free shipping to get what you need to be feeling good this summer. That's code ADAMB at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping and guys supporting the sponsors of this podcast like manscaped helps support me and allows me to do this podcast every week for all of you so go to manscaped.com use my code adam b for 20 percent off and free shipping how are you developing them from the second they get on campus to say we need to maximize this guy's talent and potential because we need him to play for us yeah i think the first thing is is trying to make sure you're getting the right kids i, th- yeah. I think one of the things that gets lost in this entire recruiting conversation is that that how large of a pool there is from the you know not slam dunk four yeah. star to the bottom of the three star pool right yeah. like that a lot is of three stars. that is a lot of kids <laughs> yeah. and and yeah. not all of them are created the same right yeah. and so you may look at one class that looks identical to another class, but one is significantly better, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just um, something we know as coaches that maybe not everyone who follows recruiting yeah. truly understands how, how deep that is. So it starts with making sure we're getting the right kids. Um, then I think it's intangibles. I think we mm-hmm. spend a lot of time talking about like what are the intangibles this kid has that four years from now he's going to be a better football player than another kid he comes in with, right? Mm-hmm. Work ethic, character, uh, love of the game of football, you know, is trying to make sure we take enough you know, what we call height, weight, speed guys that do project yeah. um, to grow and develop. And and so you're trying to run this mix of of all of that and, and just trying to out, we talk about all the time, trying to out-evaluate the yeah. services yeah. Um, to get us the best roster we can. Well, that's what I was going to ask about. Is your specific evaluation process? So from start to finish, your recruiting staff finds a finds a player, whether it's high school film, whether it's a transfer portal kid. How does that process work with you guys to getting it all the way to your desk yeah. to decide we want to offer this? Yeah, I, I think you know the the path of it is similar. I, I think you know it starts with someone in the recruiting office watching a highlight tape and identifying mm-hmm. a kid academically that fits who we are and and that kind of starts the ball rolling and then um, making sure that the position coach and the coordinator you know like the tape enough to move forward but I think nowadays with the speed of recruiting the offer (laughs) comes fast but what we try to do a really good job of is is continuing to be thorough Mm -hmm. with the evaluation right and making sure that we do do a profile tape where we're digging into game film and game cut-ups and that we do watch the kid play and you continue to have conversations again to find those intangibles and um, you know it seems maybe cold-hearted a little bit but like you have to be able to walk away as you go through the process with a yeah. kid when you recognize that maybe this kid isn't the right fit yeah um, and you should try to make sure that that continues to go through yeah how, how do you balance the need to win immediately which you're, you've already done but win immediately with transfer portal kids so that, that's the, that's the balance win right now take transfers or build your roster for the long term and take high school recruits that are going to have four or five years in your program and the kind of the the immediate expectation plus the yeah. you got to build your roster the right way yeah i think the the 
premium is always on building the culture and building the future. I think that's, yeah. I think you can get lost in this transfer portal world of thinking that you can continually year in and year out yeah. live in that portal. And so we're trying to make sure we got a really strong foundation of high school kids who can come into Duke, be part of our culture, be our glue, mm-hmm. be the developmental pieces of this thing that we're moving forward with in the future. But I think where the transfer portal has made things different is, is when you do have that glaring hole and especially when you're you're a school that's not bringing in you know the top left tackle in the country let's yeah. say and you have a hole at left tackle where do you go yeah. right and so there's a lot of opportunities for us to go out and find a kid here a kid there to to plug mm-hmm. a hole um, that maybe allows one of our freshmen a year to develop before we thrust them into yeah. ACC football. I'd imagine the difficult part too with transfers is the fast evaluation, right? You got to decide almost, you know, there's a week, probably a week to recruit them before they yeah. make their decision. Is that, yeah. is that a challenge? Yeah, I, I think you've got to do as much legwork as you can. I think you've got to try to get on again the same thing, right? Yeah. It's getting the game film, it's watching the kid play. It's not, um, I think a lot of people make a lot of mistakes with, oh, this four stars in the portal, <laughs> yeah. go get them. Former right? four and, star. And, yeah, yeah, right. And, and who knows what that ultimately actually looks yeah. like when you put on his college tape. And so we try to, again, do, be, be very thorough with our evaluation and make sure yeah. we're getting the right guys. I want to ask you about last season. A lot of things went well for you, ACC Coach of the Year. Uh, what were the, what's one of, the, one of the things that went right that maybe you weren't expecting last season? Oh, boy. The fact that I put it all together <laughs> yeah. as a first-time head coach, probably. No, I, I mean, listen, we, you, you came in, and, and obviously we had back-to-back, you know, down years, and, and that's well-documented, and, and tremendous respect for Coach Cutcliffe and the previous staff and, and what they built here, but you know, the last two years just weren't great. Mm-hmm. And so when you started working with these guys, I really had no idea what this would look like initially and at first. And, and I think what we found was we had a great culture, um, we had really talented kids that wanted to work hard and, and get out of here with a different vision of what Duke football mm-hmm. should be like. And, and then we found a quarterback. Yeah. You know, I think that finding helps, right? a quarterback, <laughs> yeah, it makes a huge difference. And so as, as Riley, um, you know, developed and grew over the over the course of a year with us, you know, and we started to feel like, okay, hey, we really got a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that just just kind of made it a little bit off altogether. What's one of the things? Uh, so much talk about all the, the good things last season. What's one of the things that you were disappointed with on the on-field play? Yeah, I, I don't know if I would use the word disappointed, but there's so many areas for us to grow yeah. and get better. You know, we made a huge jump on defense, but, you know, pass defense is something as a safeties coach most of my career. Like, yeah. that's an area where we know we can improve and get better. I think we can get better in third down defense. I think offensively, we can get better in our efficiency throwing the football. Uh, we can get better in our red zone offense. You know, there's when you're a first-year coach in a first-year system, um, there's so much that, that you can fix and improve on. And I think when you go back and look at it at the end of the year, it's like, okay, thank God we're doing this yeah. from a 94 yeah. perspective. The, uh, the schedule doesn't get much easier this coming season, huh? It, it does not. <laughs> I, I was unable to pick my schedule this year in case you haven't figured that out by looking at it. Yeah, the ACC didn't make it easy. Yeah. What, uh, what are kind of your expectations for this coming season? What, what's a realistic goal? What, what, what are you thinking that th- th- this, this team can do? Yeah, I'm going to give you coach speak, but it's yeah. the same coach speak we had last year, and I think this is really just our thought process always, which is we want to become the best version of ourselves. We really do. And, and so the focus has been internal. Um, we know that the schedule has an increase in value or in, in degree of difficulty. Mm-hmm. We also know that we've got 17 returning starters and, and a team that is significantly better than the team we put on the field last fall and so 
So trying to figure out what that all looks like with the new schedule, it's, it's not worth it. And so yeah. we just kind of focused on ourselves, knowing that we're going to play a lot of close games this year, knowing that we're going to have to execute in the fourth quarter to win football games and you know, trying to figure out how to yeah. become that. And if we can do that enough, I think we'll be successful. You just signed a contract extension, I believe, through the 29 season. Yeah. Um, so congratulations. Just made big, made big news on that. How much of that extension talk is really, you know, the fans see it and they see the, the length of it, they see the money, they talk about all that. But how much is that about getting commitment from the administration, getting the resources you need for your staff, getting the facility upgrades you need, yeah. all that kind of stuff that people don't necessarily see? Yeah, I think it's a public statement of commitment in both directions. Yeah. I think, one, it's it's a double down from our administration to say, like, we, we told you football was going to be important with this new regime, and, and we're going to continue to do that. And mm -hmm. we got some investments in the staff salary pool, the investment or the uh, support staff salary pool, um, and those things are critical, right? And, yeah. and how we continue to grow the infrastructure of our program is really important. And then I think what what I wanted to show was a double down investment back in Duke back football, it, right? Yeah. And, and that was something that was really important to me because, you know, in this day and age, you know how the talk, you know, the talk yeah. comes and it's immediate and it's, <laughs> oh, if, if you're winning, you're leaving. And if you're losing, you're leaving because they're firing you, yeah. right? That's just the nature of the world that we're in nowadays. And so what I wanted to do was just let everybody out there know that I'm committed to building this program at Duke and that's yeah. really important to me. When someone asks, What's Coach Elko's culture like at Duke? What do you want him to say? Yeah, I think they. I think it's it's a family-driven culture on every aspect of it. This is what mm -hmm. I tell recruits all the time. To me, it's family, but it's every aspect of that, right? It's the yeah. loving, the caring, the hugging, the taking care of, all of those things that are really important, but it's also the pushing, mm -hmm. the improving, the developing, um, making sure that when you leave here, you're not only the best football player you can be, but you're also a man ready to take on life and yeah. whatever that throws at you. And so it's the full experience as best mm -hmm. we can get it. What's it like being a coach on, on your staff? Um, I think I think people enjoy working here. I, mm -hmm. I think they know that family is really important to me, and so that time with their family can can be taken advantage of, and they yeah. can really enjoy that life. I think they know that we're all in this together. Um, that there's not a lot of finger pointing. That we're doing this collectively to create the best football program that we can, and and mm -hmm. probably know that we're trying to push the envelope in everything we do. Yeah. Like we talk all the time about this one. Like I tell my guys, don't tell me you're doing it just because that's how we've done it. Yeah. Like I, I want to know why. I want to know why we're doing it, and I want to know that what we're doing, we're doing for the best for our student-athletes. Yeah. And if that's what we're doing, then I can get on board with yeah. it. We talked a little, little bit about the recruiting strategy and, and how you deal with the high academic part of this. But also the other question I have about recruiting is location. Yeah. This is a place that – produces you know, a ton of big-time recruits. I think we were just talking the top quarterback in the country next year is from Carolina. Every school comes here to recruit, right? You're not just competing with North Carolina and NC State and, and Clemson and all these schools. You're competing with Michigan and Penn State and USC and that are coming to Carolina. How do you go about kind of just your strategy of keeping kids home, recruiting your state, but also having to be a national recruiting power. Yeah, I, I think it's just inside-out philosophy, and I think you hear a lot about that nowadays. But but so many schools are now getting out of their geographic footprint. Yeah. I think that's what social media has changed. Mm -hmm. We can get on social media and advertise our brand yeah. to everybody, right? To every 17-year-old recruit in the country mm -hmm. can feel like we're local yeah. and so you know we start inside out we want to do a great job in the state of North Carolina obviously we love the football in the state of North Carolina and we want to make sure we identify all of the kids in this state who fit us yeah. and who fit what we're all about and, and go get them and yeah. go attack them and recruit them and win those battles uh, and again I think that's where it comes back to if there's a kid in North Carolina that fits 
who we are and what we're all about. We feel like we can go recruit him against yeah. anyone who comes into this state. But we also know that we've got to go national, you know, yeah. and we've got to expand our footprint and, and put ourselves into position to identify those kids wherever they are, you yeah. know, whether they're in Tennessee or Ohio or Texas or Florida or in the Northeast, like wherever they are, we got to mm -hmm. go find them. And, and that's probably the biggest challenge we have is we got to cover a lot of ground yeah. and a lot of territory. <laughs> yeah. A lot of traveling. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Uh, NIL. So it's the hot topic in college football. Uh, the media loves to talk about it. My question for you is how much do recruits and players actually talk about NIL? And is it as much as maybe the media portrays it to be? Yeah, I, I think they talk about it as much <laughs> as the media portrays it. I think what the reality of NIL versus the way the media <laughs> portrays it is, is probably a little bit different. I think yeah. uh, put me on the on the category that is, is fully in favor of, of our student athletes getting a piece of this pie mm. somehow, some way, right? I think they're, there's never really been a better time to be a student athlete in terms of what you can do, what you can get, some of the freedoms and liberties that they now have. I think all of those things are, are right, and yeah. so we're excited for that. You know, like all of us, I wish we'd get a little bit of standardized, you know, <laughs> level legal, playing field, yeah, level yeah. playing yeah. field, and, and not necessarily from a money standpoint, just from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah. And, and then the other thing that I think is critical is is we need some open records, like we need people to be able to see what the reality of NIL is, not yeah. what is being promised, not what is being spoken. Um, we need to be able to, like, really be able to look at the reality. Yeah. I think that's important for young student athletes. Yeah, and, and I'm, I was excited to talk to you about this topic because I know how smart you are and articulate. What What is the solution to the NIL transfer portal? Is it federal federal legislation is it revenue sharing what what are your thoughts on yeah that? I, I think the first thing is is federal regulation to kind of standardize the rules i yeah. think the fact that a state can go in and, and create its yeah. own set it's of nil rules yeah. like that's something that that you know is going to get out yeah. of hand really quick and and people are going to find ways to utilize their own state mm -hmm. legislation to pre create yeah. nil advantages right and that's mm -hmm. not something we can have you, yeah. know, you can't have an nil advantage for a college <laughs> in a certain state yeah. I think that's that's really important. And I think the other thing that's that's critical is is open records. I, yeah. I really do. I, I think we have to stop people from just saying to a student athlete, hey, I'm going to give you yeah. A if you come to my school and then having no actual follow through with whether that's what gets delivered. Yeah. Right? And, and so we're not allowed to use it as recruiting inducements. I think everyone understands that that's going on to some degree <laughs> throughout the, the college industry, and that's not good for anybody. It's not good for student athletes. It's not good for your own roster. It's just not a good way to go about yeah. it. But I think there's also a lot of uncertainty for young men, and, and they're being told, hey, we'll yeah. do this for you, and that's not really what's happening. Yeah. You're most recent stops before this were with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M and with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. What's something that you took from each of them, Coach Fisher and Coach Kelly, that you implemented here? Yeah, I think Brian Kelly, the, the biggest thing was that was my first exposure to a big brand. Yeah. And coaching football at Notre Dame is was different than anything that I really had experienced. Mm -hmm. And just how he ran that program as the CEO, how he managed the media, how he prepared our players to handle 
that spotlight, that yeah. exposure, that level of, of scrutiny to some degree, um, all of that. I, I think Brian's a phenomenal football coach, and, and obviously he's been successful at so many places yeah. and did it again at LSU yeah. last year. And so that was probably that. It was probably more just how he ran the program, especially in line with being a national brand. And, and then with Jimbo, um, Jimbo's a, a great offensive mind, so I think that's kind of where it started and mm -hmm. just kind of going against him every day with the different things they do schematically that was something i thought that really developed my game as a defensive coordinator and then just you know how he instills toughness in that program i think that's the saving tree a little bit and just how there's that mental toughness built into that program through winter conditioning through spring ball through summer workouts through fall camp yeah. i think is something i took out of there when, when you get the job of become a first time head coach how much of those former coaches you were with like brian Keller, like jimbo fisher like other guys can you pick up the phone and call how much do you rely on people like that for support guys we have a new sponsor for the next up podcast called dara lab and i am fired up because of Caldera Lab, I'm able to put my best face forward. How do I do that? By adding a skincare routine from Caldera Lab into my day every single day. Now I know what you're saying, there's no way this guy sticks to a skincare routine, but joke's on you because there's no way this face stays this clean and looks this good without it. And honestly, it's not that hard. I just needed the tools and now I have them from Caldera Lab. Here's some insight on my personal routine. Number one, the clean slate. It's a face wash that starts and ends every single day for me. Number two, the base layer, a moisturizer that hydrates my skin, and number three, the good, a bedtime night serum that has my skin feeling tighter and smoother than ever before. The skincare world is not just for females anymore, it's for men too, and it's doing wonders for me. So what are y'all waiting for? Go to calderalab.com slash Adam B for 20% off their best products. That's a huge discount at calderalab.com slash Adam B. And guys, supporting our sponsors like Caldera Lab supports me and allows me to do this podcast every single week for all of you. So please support Caldera Lab at calderalab.com slash Adam B for 20% off. How much do you rely on people like that for support? Yeah, so it, it's it's an interesting world. So so I, I certainly think I could call Brian and Jimbo and they would They're help They're busy me. though, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and then the, the one I spent the most time with is Dave Clawson over at Wake yeah, Forest. Course, I spent 12 yeah. years with him and he's not picking up my call to help me with anything right now because we're pretty much identical well, you schools. Can't trust we're identical advice. schools in the same state yeah. in the same conference, right? And so... Um, no, I, I think I think um, you try to go through it all and you try to learn from from everyone that you come in touch with. And then at the end of the day, when you get here, you know, you really got to trust yourself. You yeah. got to trust yourself. You got to believe in yourself. And um, you just got to make the best decisions for your staff and your players that you can and um, be willing to look in the mirror and, and evaluate the decisions that you yeah. make. And if they're wrong, fix them yeah. and acknowledge it. Uh, and I think I try to do that as best I can. I asked uh, Shane Beamer this question, so I'm going to ask you too because okay. he had a good answer. Uh, throughout your career, I'm sure you went on a lot of a lot of different interviews, head coach interviews, I'm sure, and also coordinator interviews. What was your toughest interview you've been on? Yeah, honest to God, the toughest interview I ever had was the first job I got with Clawson. It was uh, <laughs> I interviewed for the linebacker job at Fordham in like 2000. This has to be like 20, 2001. 2002, somewhere in that era, and I was on the board for three hours just getting <laughs> grilled on, on defensive schematics and how I would handle this, and he had just come from Villanova with Brian Westbrook and yeah. was asking me how we were going to handle these adjustments of the running back, and I was like, whoa, and uh, 
I still don't know if I did it right, but I guess I did it good enough to get the job. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's funny. What about any head coaching ones? Any any tough ones? Yeah, I'm sure there's a little. Those aren't whiteboard type interviews, right? Yeah, no. So the, it's it's funny that the head coaching interviews are so different because yeah. you're you're really you're really interviewing to be a CEO in so many ways, yeah. and and it's not you know, your your reputation as a coach is what gets you at the table, yeah. and then when you get to the table, everything that you're trying to convince them of is is I can do it all, you yeah. know, not just the coaching part. Like I can recruit, I can run this program, I can talk to the administration, like yeah. I can talk to the alumni. Like you're just trying to let them know that you're a capable CEO within yeah. the organization. And so to me, those ones were just completely like the first head coach interview I went on was just completely different than anything yeah. I'd ever been part of because it almost yeah. felt like it was non football to some degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine. Um, when it comes to this program and this university, people refer to it as a basketball school all the time. One, how do you feel about that saying when people say that it's a basketball school? And two, it, while it's also while it's a challenge, I'm sure it also plays into the strength of what you mentioned, where you can go into a living room and everyone knows the Duke brand and, yeah. and it has that reputation. How do you kind of view you know being a basketball school? Yeah, I think I think one, we're a basketball school because our basketball program has been more <laughs> successful. Yeah. In recent era than our football program, right? And that's just if you go back to the, you know, mid '90s to now, basketball has been one of the elite programs mm -hmm. in the country. Uh, I don't know that we're destined to be a basketball school from a fan base standpoint. I think there's plenty of fans out there that will root for Duke football and Duke basketball yeah. if Duke football can be as successful yeah. or can be if successful on that yeah. type of level. And so yeah. um, I don't see it as, as you know, we're predisposed to being basketball forever. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to work hand-in-hand hand with basketball. I got a great relationship with John Shire. I got to know Coach Gay a little bit mm -hmm. um, before he got out of here. Um, and just we want to build off of that brand and the success that they've had to grow football. And yeah. I think we can help each other. I think a great football program will help a basketball program on your campus. Obviously, our basketball program is elite. And so that sells. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who recognize Duke athletics because of what our basketball program yeah. is. And so we just want to work hand in hand and, and develop both of the programs. Yeah. Take me through a, uh, a typical day as as the head coach at Duke. What is it? Are you a, are you an early yeah. 4 a.m. wake up? Yeah, I'm an early guy. <laughs> so I'm probably getting in here about 5, 530 and, and trying to get as much done in my office by myself as I can before, before chaos. yeah just before yeah. chaos starts and then you know you try to keep everything organized and I like to have my thoughts organized before we get going and then um, you know you kind of go through your day and and everything gets scheduled on your calendar that's the other part about being the head coach is like you know you walk in the day and it's like okay you're here at this time you're here at that time you just kind of get into this very regimented schedule yeah. um, and then before you know it the, the day's over and, and you're off and we try to we try to do end the days as early as we can to let guys get home and be around their family but yeah. early in the college coaching world it's yeah right a little different how do you balance the rigors of needing to build a championship program but also have a championship life at home with your family with you know it's such a challenge for coaches yeah. we, we, they talk about it a lot and, and you just mentioned letting your coaches go a little bit earlier like I used to always say there's no reason to be in the office till midnight right yeah. if you can't finish it by eight yeah. there's, there's nothing that's gonna happen at midnight no I, I think I think the first thing is 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 one it becomes a priority you have yeah. to make it a priority because you know the job to some degree deprioritizes it, right? There's yeah. so many times where we're in this race against the clock, whether it's to prepare for a game, whether mm -hmm. it's with a recruit, whether it's signing day. There's so many times where, you know, the job forces us 
to yeah. be certain places. Um, and then you have to take advantage of all those times where that's not the case. Mm -hmm. you know, any opportunity that we can to just give our guys a, a three, four day weekend. Anytime you can give them a couple days off. Anytime yeah. you can say, hey, this week we're out of here at five. Go home, have dinner with your family. You mm -hmm. just try to balance it as best you can in, in that regard. And I think guys appreciate that. I think everybody yeah. signed up for coaching and understood what the level of expectation was. I think it's those, you know, Tuesdays in February when you're here till midnight yeah. where you're looking around no like, like kind of, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that this is what we have to be doing. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is, is, is you've got to trust and respect the coaches you have that they're going to do the job that you hired them for. I think yeah. That's probably something I try to do as a head coach too, which is, you know, if, if you've got a guy that wants to jump out at two o'clock to go to his daughter's recital, you just trust that he's going to come back and do the work that he's got to mm -hmm. get done or that he'll come in a little bit earlier yeah. or like just trust people in your building because you yeah. hired them. And yeah. I think that's something we try to live by. Yeah. There's so much talk right now about conference realignment in college football. I mean, it seems like there's new rumors every day. What are your thoughts on the future of the ACC and wh where this conference is and, you know, just a few years from now? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's probably above my pay grade. Um, <laughs> I, you know, as, as a coach, I think I'm smart enough to understand that um, I'll know how realignment's going to affect us when somebody calls me and <laughs> yeah, tells when you me get a call. Time, you know, um, listen, it's, it's something for Nina. It's something for Vince. Obviously, you know, it's an arms race right now. Everybody sees that. Everybody's aware of it. Uh, we have a very competitive football brand. I, I think one of the things that gets lost in a lot of this conversation is, is we have some extremely rich traditional football programs oh, yeah. in this conference that can carry this thing. And so, you know, as you start to watch Florida State get better and you see Miami reinvesting back into that program and obviously everything that Clemson has been about, um, you know, those programs can change the narrative. Yeah. I think the one thing that happens in college football is the narrative swings quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2016, my last year at Wake, we left and, and we were, you know, Deshaun Watson was in this league, Lamar Jackson yeah. was in this league, Daniel Jones was in this league. Um, yeah. You know, and Good so yeah. it, it wasn't that long ago <laughs> that we were the pinnacle of this whole thing. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we just got to invest in our programs, continue to play football the way we're capable of doing it yeah. and let that take itself the course. If you could change one thing <clears throat> about college football on the field, with the style of play, with the rules, what would it be? Yeah, I, the one thing is, is we've got to stop allowing teams to play as fast as they do. I, I think the NFL has it right with, you know, you can't snap the ball until the play clock yeah. hits a certain time. I, I think the way we allow some of these, it, it's not safe. It really mm -hmm. isn't. To try to try to get a defense ready to play football in seven seconds, is, it's just it's not good for anybody. And yeah. I think what happens is is it creates an offensive advantage because it's 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 unrealistic. Mm -hmm. um, so offenses continue to try to take advantage of yeah. it, which makes sense, and we do the same because it's part of the rules. Um, but I, I think we're losing some of what we're coaching offenses yeah. to do and be about, and I, I think it's really it's a player safety issue. That's a defensive guy answer right there. No, right? <laughs> it is, but it's it's not. I'm not trying to get rid of up tempo. I'm not, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah. You no. just look at the NFL. It's a, yeah, the NFL. Right. We're our job from a football standpoint should be yeah. to prepare our players to become professional football players mm -hmm. and become the best professional football players they can become. And I'm not sure how playing that style of offense, in some ways, it's literally like playing triple option. <laughs> yeah. You're limited in scheme, you're limited in yeah. scope, you're limited in what you do. You're not playing an offense that transitions over yeah. to the NFL at all. Um, I don't know how that helps yeah. anybody. To that point, 
uh, there's been talk recently about moving the hash marks too. Yeah. I mean, they haven't changed the hash marks in college football for you know the yeah. NBA adapted to this three point line. Yeah. The, the hash marks make no sense in college football, in my opinion, yeah. anymore. No, I, the more we can make the game model the, the NFL, NFL game, yeah. the better. And, and I'll, as a defensive coach, I'll throw out there the way we we uh, officiate pass interference yeah. and allowing DBs in college to be so physical probably needs to go because yeah. um, I don't think that translates either. And so I'll give you that one yeah, too just I love so it. I can give <laughs> yeah. you the other side of it. I appreciate it. Um, what about one thing you could change off the field? Yeah, I, I think everything that we can do to make – coaches' lives better, yeah, I think, is critical. I, I think if we don't try to create some rules that create balance with, with our coaches in, in life and how they can mm -hmm. handle the job, we're going to continue to lose a lot of our talented young coaches to the NFL, and that's not going to be good yeah. long-term for our game. And yeah. so as, as we continue to make rule changes and change calendars and, and introduce things, and we just got to make sure that we're taking care of our coaches as yeah. best we can. I mean, and, and the calendar is, yeah. is so tough on coaches. Yeah. That's, that's what you're referring to. Even with the portal windows, with signing day, I mean, the whole early signing day thing kind of, it was a good idea at first and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. What, what do you think the, the right changes are on the calendar side of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one, it's, it's trying to limit the portal window yeah. as much as we possibly can. I, I think that um, the concept of allowing kids to transfer is, is good, right? Mm -hmm. the kids should have some of the same freedoms that coaches have. I certainly understand that. Uh, to have a 45-day window to yeah. decide whether you're at the right school, I just that's not realistic. It doesn't, it's not needed. Yeah. You know, any kid can make that decision in as much time as we're going to allow them to make it. Mm -hmm. And so we elongate these windows which elongates roster yeah. management, roster development, how the transfer portal actually works. And, and the longer it takes for kids to get in, the more you're pushing decisions into Christmas, New Year's, yeah. into that time where traditionally the calendar is, has slowed a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's, that's one. I think, um, you know, talk about how we handle the month of June um, probably needs to continue to yeah, go. Right? That used to June, be the down month. Yeah, June has become everything, right? It's official visits, camps, it's yeah. portals, it's camps, yeah. it's evaluations, it's working with your own roster because we're now allowed to go hands-on with our own team on the field. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another month that we need to just look at and evaluate yeah. and see if we're doing it right. You have a quarterback coming back, Riley Leonard, who's had a great season last year through for 3,000 yards, I think, and uh, has Heisman odds this year. What, what makes him special? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is the moxie. Mm -hmm. I, I think his you know, competitive toughness and how he elevates his game at the right moments in, in the game is, mm -hmm. is really unique. It's, it's unique to a lot of the kids that I've been around, and I've been fortunate to be around some really talented quarterbacks. I think that makes him special. Athletically, he's elite. I, mm -hmm. I think people look at him and they don't think <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but he, is, he really is a tremendous athlete. And then I think he has developed so much in 18 months as a passer to where mm -hmm. now we feel like he can operate very effectively as an in-the-pocket drop-back passer. And so yeah. he's really got a complete game. What's something about Riley that most fans don't know? I think probably the biggest thing is is how competitive he is. Yeah. Like I think you look at him and he's such a great kid and um, he's very strong in his Christian faith and that comes off every time you hear him talk. Mm -hmm. And you maybe think like, oh, okay, this kid's just yeah, a really nice, nice kid. Like he's, <laughs> he's not. Like he's got that killer instinct yeah. in him um, and the way he challenges himself and the way he can really drive our offense. Um, people get maybe mistaken by his, his nice demeanor. Yeah. 
Who's a person uh, – you mentioned a few. So you mentioned Coach Clawson and, and Coach Kelly and Coach Fisher. But who's a person other than those three who's impacted your career the most or made, made the biggest impact on you as a person? Yeah, I, it's probably those three. You know, <laughs> I took I, away I, Coach yeah, Clawson. He kind of <laughs> took away my, my questions a little bit. But, no, I mean, listen, I spent, I spent 12 years with Dave. And, yeah. and so I started with Dave as a 24-year-old coach getting my first opportunity in a Division One AA level. Yeah. Uh, and I ended with him as – as a defensive coordinator in the ACC. And mm-hmm. so to see me grow even yeah, internally. That's a long time. Yeah, that's a <laughs> long time, right? And so obviously he shaped yeah. so much of that, and, and I'm extremely appreciative to that. And, and then, you know, obviously the experiences at Notre Dame and Texas A&M, I, I think, finished it off. And so yeah. I'm thankful to, to all three of those guys. And my, my career path was so different because, you know, I was a defensive coordinator so young. And, mm-hmm. and was a defensive coordinator so often yeah. um, that I really didn't have that mentor yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. I worked for some really good people when I was young, but you know I don't know that I had that recognizable uh, mentor. Yeah. Um, so it's been the head coaches that, that yeah. really I've, I've kind of lived and grown by. As you mentioned, being a D coordinator for so so long, you know how how much of that time. And I guess when did you start preparing and say, I want to be a head coach? And then what does that – I think one thing fans don't realize is, like, the preparation before you actually are a head coach that goes into deciding what my philosophy is going to – like, you don't just show up and you're like, oh, how should we handle academics, you know, yeah. and just decide on the job. Like, you're preparing for it. How long have you been preparing to be a head coach, and when did that kind of start? I want to tell you all about Athletic Greens, and let me tell you, when I found out about this sponsor, I was fired up because I've been using Athletic Greens for years, and I want to promote to you guys the things I actually use. I love love Athletic Greens. As a former Division I athlete, I've tried countless supplements and recently my nutrition and my health has become a bigger deal for me as I get farther away from my playing career. And let me tell you, Athletic Greens is the real deal, has me feeling healthy and energized every single day. With as much as I'm on the road, traveling, shooting podcasts, it's hard to have a healthy diet, hard to have healthy nutrition, hard for me to get my vitamins and minerals every single day. My doctor even told me that last time I saw him. But with Athletic Greens, I get 75 plus vitamins, minerals, and a bunch of other healthy things. I don't even know what they are, but I know they're good for you. And when I wake up every single day now, I feel energized. My digestion has never been better, and I'm ready to attack each and every day because of Athletic Greens and AG1. So if you want to take ownership of your health like I am right now, try AG1 today at drinkag1.com slash next up, and you get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs when you go to my link, tryag1.com slash next up. And guys, all of you who support this podcast, you guys supporting our sponsors helps me a ton. So please go support AG1 and support next up through the process and optimize your health and nutrition today. Drinkag1.com slash next up. Check it out. How long have you been preparing to be head coach and when did that kind of start? Yeah, I, I think it probably first started crossing my mind towards the back end of my wake tenure. Yeah. And then really when I went to Notre Dame, it was like, okay, like uh, this is something I want to do. I want to yeah. be able to run a program. I want to be able to be in charge of this whole thing. And so then what you're starting to do is you're starting to just ask the head coach to involve you in some of those meetings, those conversations, those day-to-day things that you don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me the things I need to know. Help me yeah. learn the things I need to learn so that when I get into that chair, you know, I'm not lost. And, and yeah. you try to see things. You know, for when you first become a defensive coordinator, everything's in the scope of defense, right? Mm-hmm. What do I need? 
myself tomorrow for yeah. our defense to be the best yeah. it can be and then you just start opening up your vision and you start seeing things holistically as a program like okay i know why we're doing this maybe this mm -hmm. isn't the best drill for the defense but it i see sense. how it helps yeah. the team or maybe this isn't um, the most fair thing for the defense but i see how it helps the team yeah. um, and just being able to understand and comprehend some of that stuff to start formulate your plans and then you just start going through and and, and making notes yeah um, that's the biggest thing is like okay uh, if i became in charge i would do this i would not do this i would change this i would tweak that mm -hmm. uh, and you just try to put all that stuff in place and but then I, and I tell people this all the time the thing that that you can't understand either though is is all of that stuff is very general yeah you know, then you become the head football coach at duke <laughs> and you've got to figure out how to apply yeah. all of that to Duke. unique because it's, yeah. had it been a different school yeah it had been a different set of challenges a different area a different location in the yeah. country could have created a whole different yeah. you know set of things to think about and so then you've got to figure out how to really apply it the right way and i think that's the the biggest thing when you become a new head yeah. coach in in five years or so from now if you know what will it take for you to say this has been successful this has been this is what the goal was you know if, if we get to this place in five years i'll be happy yeah I, I think it starts with having every player who comes through here continue to talk extremely positive about the experience playing football at duke yeah. i think we cannot lose that i think that's one of the things holistically we have to make sure we keep in college football, which is it should be about these student athletes coming yeah. to our university, playing in our program, and thinking back on that as, mm -hmm. as a great four or five years in their life. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is, is that everyone who leaves this program still speaks glowingly yeah. about their time here. Um, obviously, we want to continue to graduate and prepare our young men for life. That's something that has to, to continue. And then what it needs to look like is we just want to continue to invest. I want to see a program. When you come back here five years from now, whether it's facilities, whether it's campus, yeah. whether it's staff structure, that all of that stuff is in an elevated place that, that it wasn't when you came through now. Yeah. And we want to just continue to grow this program because in a lot of ways we are we're a startup company mm -hmm. and i think what we're going to look like five years from now is going to be significantly better when a player gets asked what's it like playing for coach elko what do you want them to say uh that he was real uh, that he told me the things that i needed to hear uh maybe i didn't always want to hear him at that time uh he genuinely cared for me as a person, uh, it wasn't just about football. Yeah. Uh, he took an interest in who I was, uh, and I became better. I became a better man. I became a better football player in his program. Last few things I got for you, Coach. I appreciate all your time. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received? Put your head down and go to work. I think if I could talk to any young coach in this profession, it would be do the best you can at the job you have, yeah. and it will all take care of itself. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously for the person who got all the breaks and it all did work out <laughs> for, that's easy to say, and I'm, I'm not lost in that. But, but I do, I, you know, I think young coaches that are chasing jobs and chasing opportunities and, and trying to do all those things, I think – people don't look at that the same way that you think they do. Yeah. And so, you know, every job I've gotten came from some recommendation from some guy on the staff that I wasn't even really trying to yeah. get a recommendation yeah. from who said, like, yeah, I worked with that guy. He's, he's really good. Yeah. And I just think that's something that, that you want to make sure you take care of. Yeah, don't chase, don't chase jobs. No, right? yeah. just to be great at who you are, be great yeah. at what you do, and, and somehow that'll take care of itself. What's the worst advice you've ever heard? 
you got to have a man. good one on this, I, I figured. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> trying to think of who I'm not going to sell down the river. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of, I mean, I, the biggest thing has been like jobs where financially you were offered more money mm-hmm. that I've had people tell me you're crazy not taking that job and, yeah. and the job just completely didn't fit who I was, who our family mm-hmm. was. It made no sense. Yeah. at all um and i've heard you know, i can't believe you turned that down i can't believe you're not taking that money i can't believe you're not yeah. taking that opportunity um i think we as a family have always tried to to focus on like okay this one makes sense yeah. not just not just financially this one makes sense level wise opportunity yeah. responsibility family moving mm-hmm. to this location yeah. um, we've tried to factor all of that stuff in i think that's made it a better journey for us. You don't want to share what jobs that were? No, I'm just no, kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't. I'm just kidding. I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. Um, if you weren't a football coach, what would you be doing? <laughs> I don't know. I think that's why I'm a football coach. You know, like I, I, I always kicked around being a lawyer. Like I, I always felt like that was something I could be good at. Like I feel like I can, yeah. I can you take can win something arguments. and win arguments <laughs> and spin things the right way. Um, maybe some type of sports journalist or, or in yeah. type, some type of sports organization. But honest to God, like the reason why I'm sitting here today is because I couldn't figure it out. And so I was like, I, listen, I know football. That's what I know. So sure, this $6,500 GA job at Stony Brook, that's exactly the one I want. And, uh, and, and that's where it started. It really yeah. did. And so, yeah, I don't know what else I would do. Football was easier than Wharton. It was a lot. I'll tell you what, it took me one class in Wharton to realize that wasn't who I was. Boy, what class was it? I took, I took econ. It was uh, whatever econ one is. I think it was macro or microeconomics. And um, yeah, I was in a room with a lot of people that were a lot smarter than me. And so I kind of ran out the back door as quick as I could. Is there anyone um, that's not a football coach that maybe is like a business leader or in politics, something in media that you look up to or that you take advice from or kind of watch what they do? Yeah, honestly, no. I'm so sports-driven in, in kind of my focus yeah. on things. I, I really am. And so, like, what I've looked at is I've looked at some of the, the great athletes like, yeah. and kind of expanded that throughout. So, you know, studying guys like Jordan, studying guys mm-hmm. like Kobe, um, studying guys like Tom Brady, Belichick, Saban. Yeah. Like, to me, that's been a lot of, a lot of my focus. I just um, – as I was coming up as a coach, I was always drawn by people who could sustain greatness for, for such long periods of time. Yeah. I think just recently now, sitting in the CEO world, have all of those things come into focus. Yeah. Where now it's like I talk to Duke grads and it's like, oh yeah, I run this company or I run this business. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. let's talk. That let's talk sense. leadership. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk CEO. Yeah. Like now, I think honestly, in the last 18 months, yeah. I've probably attracted more to some of those conversations. Yeah. Just a ball guy before. I mean, it was just before all that, it was like, put me in a closet and let me watch film and, and kind of leave me alone. Give me a whiteboard. Yeah. Um, for this place to win an ACC championship or get to the playoff, what are the one or two things that still need to happen? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, we got to continue to change perception about what Duke football is. I yeah. think we talk a lot about trying to get kids who understand that this is truly the best of both worlds. And, and we want kids who want to chase excellence mm-hmm. in both aspects of their life. And I think that's critical. And I think understanding that you can come here from a football standpoint and get an elite level of development mm-hmm. um, around a staff that has experience at all of what you would call the blue blood yeah. types of programs across this country. And you wouldn't lose 
anything coming here and developing as a football player and you get the opportunity to chase this Duke degree. And so yeah. I think the more that resonates, the more recruiting elevates, the more the players that we can get into this program elevates, the more the passion around the mm -hmm. program changes and we can start selling games out and, and creating yeah. an atmosphere here that people want to be part of, that will continue to grow to yeah. make us what we want to be. Last thing I got for you, what's your why? What's the reason you do what you do? Yeah, I, I think it's it's really twofold. I think my, my why in life has always been to make my mother proud uh, and make my family proud. I think the sacrifices she made to, to get me to where I am today have, has kind of been always the internal driving. And, and my dad's a part of that too, but you just always have that yeah. <laughs> a little bit with your mom that's a little bit different. And then I think my why in football is just to, to – give kids an opportunity and experience to become something they never thought they could. Yeah. I think that was one of the things that really attracted me in football very quickly was we were getting these young men at 18 and, and being able to kind of finish it off yeah. for them so that when they left at 21, they would be able to go and become something that they never dreamed they could when you sat in their living room at 17 years old. And I think that's my why yeah. within the game of yeah. football. I love it, Coach. Well, I appreciate all your time. It's been fun watching you build this place over the last year. Congrats on the success and the extension and ACC Coach of the Year. And excited to watch you build a or win, win a championship. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you coming Thank in. You. I appreciate your spotlight in Duke for us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so much, Coach. Yeah, I appreciate it. it. That wasn't too hard, right? No, it was easy. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it.